We're going to have the reading now, and the reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80, and Margaret is going to read that passage. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Dear friends, at Christmas, Christians celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world. Today, a week before Christmas, we want to have a closer look, not at the birth of our Savior, but at the birth of the greatest of his messengers who came before him. According to the information we have from the evangelist Luke, John the Baptist was born about six months before Jesus. That's the reason why traditionally the Christian church has set aside the 24th of June 
to remember John's birth. Well, the 21st of June was almost six months ago. We clearly missed the opportunity to mark John's birth in the middle of the Scottish summer. But you know what? That doesn't matter too much that we missed that chance because the story of John's birth, as recorded here in Luke chapter 1, is still the same story. It's a story that gives us a colorful picture of life in the Judean countryside 2,000 years ago. It's a colorful picture of first century Jewish community life. It tells us how neighbors and family members join two parents in rejoicing over the birth of their first child. Unlike in Scotland today, the arrival of a new baby was a community event in the hill country of Judea at that time. But that's actually not the reason why Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down this story of the birth of John the Baptist. You see, the book in which we find this story, the Bible, is not a textbook for anthropology students, though it can teach us a lot about culture and human beings. No, the Bible is about God's story. And the story that we find here in Luke's gospel is part of that story. It's a wonderful story of God's mercy. It's an exemplary story of obedience and faith. It's a powerful story of healing, and it's a beautiful story of praise and an encouraging story of, awakening, of spiritual awakening. So let's unpack the story of the birth of John the Baptist and let's see what it has to say to us today. It's a wonderful story of God's mercy. That's the first thing we can say about John's birth story here. Luke writes, when it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. A baby is born and people rejoice. That's nothing unusual. It happens every day, and most of us have been there, haven't we? The birth of a baby is a joyful event. But why is John's birth considered a demonstration of God's great mercy then? Well, in a male-dominated society in which men ranked higher than women, to receive a son was one of the most fortunate things that could happen to a woman. In other words, the birth of a baby boy instead of a baby girl could easily be understood as a sign of God's mercy. But not so here in Elizabeth's case. There's another reason why John's birth is seen as a divine, merciful act. Luke has told us earlier on in his gospel that Elizabeth was an older woman who couldn't have any children. In a society that assigned greater status to families with children, having no children was a stigma. Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, felt the shame of their childlessness. Shame, dear friends, can be very powerful. And some of us come from shame cultures, and they know what power shame can have. But even in our culture, shame can be powerful. Shame is felt 
by our whole person. It affects our whole being. It takes away our sense of who we are. Shame is about how others see us or might see us, what we think others, how others see us. Shame has to do with our standing before other people. To be humiliated in front of others, to be looked down upon, to be questioned by family, friends, neighbors, is to be shamed. What other people think of us or say about us matters so much that it makes us feel a failure. But we don't even need a community around us to feel shame. I just construct a small community of myself, and I speak of myself in the third person. I feel so ashamed of myself. In other words, I heap shame on myself. Friends, shame can be powerful, and both Elizabeth and Zechariah could feel that power. To have no child was a disgraceful, shameful thing in their small countryside town in the Judean hills. It was a shameful thing. Childlessness was widely considered a punishment from God. It was a tragic and painful situation that Elizabeth and Zechariah found themselves in. What might the people think about us? How can we look in their face? Look them in the face. These were the kinds of questions that were bothering them. Yes, the two struggled to understand why God had not granted them a child of their own. Their family, friends, and neighbors were asking the same question. What is wrong with Elizabeth and Zechariah? They are such faithful servants of the Lord. Luke describes them as upright people who observed, quote, all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They both came from respected families. Zechariah was the priest. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest. Like most people, they believed that God would bless faithful believers by giving them children. But now they are old and still without any offspring. And there was little hope, if any at all, that this situation could change. Their desire to have a child of their own would never be met, so they thought. They would have to live with their shame until the end of their lives. But by God's great mercy, Elizabeth became pregnant and gave birth to a son. By God's great mercy, their shame was lifted and their honor was restored. Friends, God is a merciful God. Mercy is one of his qualities. That doesn't mean that he fixes all our problems and fulfills all our heart's desires. No, but it means that he is willing to heal our wounds, to forgive us our sins, and to free us from our guilt and our shame. God desires a relationship with us and shows mercy to us for this relationship to be built, to grow, and to become stronger and stronger day by day.
Yes, we can only come into relationship with him because God has shown mercy to us. In his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul puts it this way, famously he said, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Friends, our merciful God has dealt with our biggest problem. Without God's mercy, you and I would still be dead in our transgressions. Without his great mercy, we would still be spiritually dead, following not Jesus, but following the spirit of the world. Yes, we can wonderfully see God's mercy in the birth of John the Baptist. But we can also see it every time someone comes to a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see it every time a person is made alive spiritually. When he or she begins to put their trust in the crucified and risen Jesus. Or as the Apostle Peter once said it, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Having said that, God's mercy can also be seen in practical ways. God is a merciful God who cares for all his creation, but especially for his children who belong to him through faith in Jesus. We are all caring people, aren't we? All of us, we're all caring people. Surely there is no one among us here this morning who doesn't care for others. Am I right? We're caring people. We care for those we love, for those who are close to us. And sometimes we are prompted to care for strangers, people we don't know, people in need. But if I'm honest, I will have to admit that my care for others has its limitations. There are times when I decide not to stop, but to pass by quickly. There are situations when I'm happy to acknowledge the great need of other people, but I feel that I can do nothing. I can't do anything about it. And yes, there are moments when I think that the person opposite doesn't deserve my love and my care. Well, thank God that he is different. He is different. We just have to look at the ministry of Jesus to see that. Jesus associated with and helped a lot of shameful people like tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were possessed by demons, outcasts. On one occasion, our Lord was approached by a man who was possessed by such an evil spirit. The man lived in a tomb. He had been put in chains to restrain him, but he managed to tear the chains apart. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Jesus, however, freed this poor man both from that evil spirit and his shame and said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Friends, God is a merciful God. God is rich in mercy. We don't know how many times Elizabeth and Zechariah had cried out to God. 
We don't know how many times they had gone on their knees and asked God to give them a child, a son or a daughter. We don't know how many times they had asked God to take away their shame. But we know what happened when no one was expecting it anymore. Elizabeth became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And everyone knew instantly that this was an act of God's great mercy. Their shame was gone and their honor was restored. This is how Elizabeth experienced it. Verse 25 of chapter 1, she said, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And taken away my disgrace among the people. Taken away my shame. The story of the birth of John the Baptist is a wonderful story of God's mercy. It reminds us that God cares for us when others have already written us off. It reminds us that God still cares when we have written ourselves off. When you feel that you are not good enough for God, remember he is greater than your sin. When you feel that you let him down again, remember that God is a merciful God who wants to be in a relationship with you. That is his desire. When you feel that you have to hide from him because of your sin, remember that through Jesus he has shown you his favor. He has taken away your disgrace and given you a position of great honor. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. The greatest honor a human being can have, a child of God. So don't stay away. Turn to God. Confess your sins to him. Pour out your heart before him and receive forgiveness and healing from our merciful God. The story of John's birth is a wonderful story of God's mercy, but it's also an exemplary story of faith and of obedience. Luke writes, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. You see, according to the law of Moses, every male baby had to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. The circumcision ceremony was an important event when family members and friends and neighbors would celebrate that the baby had become part of God's chosen people, of his covenant people. It was tradition that the child would receive the father's name or the name of another family member. And that was also the expectation of the people who came to circumcise Elizabeth's son, John. But then something very, very strange happens here. Elizabeth doesn't approve of the name the family members, friends, and neighbors suggest. She wants to have a name that has never, ever been used in the family. No, he is to be called John, she says. Luke doesn't tell us what people thought when they heard the mother's response, but we can all imagine what went through their minds. What's wrong with Elizabeth now? Has she lost her marbles? 
She's becoming more and more eccentric in her old age. Well, Elizabeth hadn't lost her mind. She hadn't become a weirdo of all of a sudden. No, she was a woman of faith. And as a woman of faith, she not only believed in a merciful God, but she was also obedient to him and to his word. To have faith, brothers and sisters, means both to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Unlike her husband, she believed the message the angel Gabriel had delivered to Zechariah. She believed and knew that she had to do what God had been saying to her through the angel Gabriel. Ignoring the old tradition that a boy should be named after his father or another family member, Gabriel had told Zechariah that the baby boy should be named John. Now, the name John literally, literally means God is merciful. God is gracious. What an appropriate name. Thirty years later, John the Baptist would prepare the coming of the Lord of grace and mercy. Thirty years later, he would point to Jesus saying, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, human traditions like naming practices can be a good thing. Traditions like that give stability to a group. Traditions help people to feel comfortable and safe. Traditions can be essential to the well-being of a community. We all know of such traditions. We all grew up with traditions like that. However, if we have to choose between God's word and human traditions, we'll have no choice but to ignore the traditions and do God's will. God's word trumps all human traditions. God's word trumps all human traditions. Elizabeth knew that, and so she insisted, no, he is to be called John. St. Thomas's church was founded in 1844. I'm pretty sure we've developed some traditions in the last 179 years here at St. Thomas's. Well, in the next few months, when we won't have a minister, we'll have to listen carefully to what God is saying to us about some of these traditions. The Lord might want us to seize the opportunity to do things differently. And if that is the case, we'll have to obey him. Likewise, we might get all kinds of advice on what to do and what not to do during the vacancy. People might come up with different suggestions. And most of that advice, most of these suggestions will be given with good intentions. But we still have to test them. And if they go against the word of God, we will have to reject them. Let's be people of faith like Elizabeth. And let's ask the Lord to guide us through this time of vacancy. And when he speaks to us, let's be obedient, just, Elizabeth, just as Elizabeth was, when she said to her family and neighbors, no, he is to be called John. John's birth story is a wonderful story of mercy, and an exemplary story of faith and obedience. But it's also a powerful story of restoration and praise. Luke writes, They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. 
Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. You see, the family members and friends don't like Elizabeth's response. They don't like it. And so they turn to Zechariah, to the father. Let's see what the father has to say. Surely he must have a different view. Surely he wants this boy to be called after himself. And so they make signs to Zechariah, which suggests that Elizabeth's husband is not only mute, but also deaf as a result of doubting the words of the angel Gabriel. Actually, the word that Luke used before in verse 22 have the same meaning, the meaning of deaf and mute. Anyway, the answer that Zechariah gave to these well-meaning traditionalists was not the one they were hoping for. Zechariah asked for a little board that was covered with wax and which people used as a kind of notebook at that time. And there he writes, his name is John. His name is John. Whether he has been able to hear what his wife just told the people or not, Zechariah confirms her words. But most importantly, Zechariah, the priest of God, accepts the name that has already been decided by God for the greatest messenger of God and forerunner of his Messiah. His name is John. Friends, these four words are a practical demonstration of faith. Zechariah no longer doubts with what the angel shared with him after being speechless for nine months because of his unbelief. He now responds with a faithful obedience and his tongue is loosed miraculously. God keeps his promise and restores Zechariah's speech. And the first words that come out of his mouth are words of praise. He should, he should have praised God when the angel Gabriel visited him in the first place and when he announced John's birth. But he does it now, better late than never. What a powerful story, isn't it? It's a powerful story. Faith leads to restoration, and restoration leads to praise. Tell me, and this is a tough question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Tell me, how much time do you spend complaining about all the things that go wrong here at St. Thomas's? How much time do you spend complaining about all the flaws that you can see in these wonderful people around you? And how much time do you spend praising God for what he has done in your life and in the lives of the people around you? You see, after nine months of solitude, Zechariah could have made a big fuss about the punishment that, that he received from God. Nine months without being able to speak, probably without hearing too. That must have been tough. But Zechariah doesn't complain. 
He doesn't criticize God or the angel. Instead, he praises God for all he has done and for all he will do. Faith leads to restoration, and restoration leads to praise. Friends, in the coming month, we can complain that we have no rector. We can mourn the departure of our present rector, and we can drown ourselves in self-pity. Or we can do what Zechariah did. We praise God who is merciful. We praise him who is in the business of restoring his children. It's our choice. It's your choice. Well, if you ask me, I will say, let's be people of praise. Let's praise God and thank him for his faithfulness. Let's rejoice and praise him for being a merciful God who answers prayers. We prayed that God would send people to St. Thomas's. Well, he has answered that prayer. So let's praise him and thank him for all the people who have joined our church in recent times. We prayed that we would see people coming to faith. Well, God answered that prayer too. Let's praise him and thank him for Amy who is going to be baptized today in this service. And yes, let's praise God for the new rector he's going to send to us in the future. In every service, we ask the Lord to forgive us our sins. Well, he has forgiven us. Let's praise him for that. Faith leads to restoration, and restoration leads to praise. And praise will not go unnoticed, and that brings us to our last point here. The story of John's birth is an encouraging story of spiritual awakening. Luke tells us that Zechariah's restoration and his praise have a real impact on the local people who witnessed it, and even on people further afield. All the, all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. People are awestruck. They're overcome with amazement. And the word spreads quickly into the surrounding villages. The folks in the Judean hill country can sense that with John's birth, something special, special has just begun. They can sense that God is at work. What then is this child going to be, they ask. They want to know what is going to happen next and who can blame them. What Luke describes here, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of a spiritual awakening. It is the very early stage of a drama that will fully unfold 30 years later. 30 years later, John will stand in the desert calling people to repent of their sins. As a sign of their repentance, they will be baptized and many will come. They will come to listen to him and undergo their baptism of repentance. Among them will also be the one who has committed not a single sin. And John will say that he is not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. John will clearly know his role. What then is this child going to be? 
filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah gives the answer to the people who are asking that question. God has stepped into their history with what has just happened. God has stepped into their history. Zechariah's son John is part of God's great salvation plan. God comes to save his people. John is not the savior, but he will be the prophet who is going to pave the way for him. And so Zechariah says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, wouldn't it be great to see a spiritual awakening here in this city, in Edinburgh? Wouldn't it be great if people could see that God is at work here at St. Thomas's right now? Wouldn't it be great if they asked the question, what is going to happen next? What's going to happen next here? Wouldn't it be great if they came to believe in the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ? Over 2,000 years ago, a spiritual awakening started with the birth of a boy called John. It started with a mother who trusted God and was obedient to his word. It started with a father who overcame his unbelief, his rebellion, was restored by God, praised him, and declared God's salvation plan to his neighbors. Indeed, friends, the story of John's birth is a wonderful story of God's mercy. It's an exemplary story of faith and obedience. It's a powerful story of restoration and praise. And it's an encouraging story of spiritual awakening. We can here at St. Thomas's, we can look to the future with fear and trepidation. We can do that. Or we trust God, we obey his word, we praise his name, and we declare the gospel to people living in spiritual darkness. Because of God's tender mercy, Jesus Christ, the rising sun, came from heaven into our confused, broken, and suffering world to give us peace with God, the gospel. To him be all the glory, now and forever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.